0: how are we doing today you guys all right the church is in the building good to see you guys my name is greg russell um and along with my beautiful wife who is right here um we lead the campus ministry in the greater long beach church which uh, we have a lot of students here visiting how are you doing college students all right so um it's so good to be here with you guys today uh, I am visiting. I was asked to come and visit you guys, and we were delighted to come and uh, visit and even to share. I'm so proud of our students. I'm um, so proud of Caroline, who shared testimony. Caroline is from Egypt, um, so if you guys didn't know that, that's where her home is. She, was, she moved here from Egypt with two back or, or two suitcases, right? Um, and landed here, and that's kind of a lot of the things that even stirred up some of that anxiety and whatnot. So it's so good to kind of see her here, uh, being able to share that as well. And uh, yeah, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and share a little bit about myself, if that's okay. Um, So I grew up in the teen ministry. Um, That is where I was converted. I was converted in the teen ministry. Actually, I was converted in the metro region. Um, I was converted in, I think, south or north cities, one of those cities, um, cities, Right, Uh, but yeah, I was converted there as a teen, and that's kind of where I grew up. That really was uh, my first interaction with disciples. Okay, so uh, I remember coming to church for the very first time and seeing people, and they treated me in in a certain way that made me feel like, wow, this is this is, I'm like family to them. They're they're allowing me to become family. And um, not too many people in the world before that has actually done that for me. so it was something that actually made me very interested into becoming a disciple. Uh, I loved the church like immediately instantaneously I didn't I wasn't a church goer I didn't like going to church. Uh, my dad probably took me to church maybe one time. Uh, my mom she took me to church a lot when I was younger but I mean you know we were in the south everybody went to church. It wasn't really like a religious thing it was more of like a A traditional thing. So um, that was us. This is a picture of me um, and a couple of teens that were in the team ministry with me and our teen leader uh, Andrew Lamoth, who was just he was so amazing. He taught me how to be a disciple, uh, taught me what faith faith is, and uh, what what does it need to be for us moving forward as as disciples and whatnot. So I'm really grateful for him. Um, As I was growing up, I got a chance to actually walk with someone who sparked my passion uh, for ministry, and that was uh, Joe Weinberg. Um, And so Joe. He led, he led the church that I was in, and um, genuinely, he was the guy. You probably can't see me too well. you probably like, who is that shadow? Um, I'm black, and I'm dark, and I love it. And uh, I'm right there on the right of him. That's not his shadow or anything weird there. That's me. And uh, I just wanted to be like him. I remember walking with him and, and seeing how he walked. I wanted to walk like him. He had so much swag about him. Uh, and he was just so encouraging. Every moment that I got a chance to, to spend with him as a teenager, it was just one of those like life-defining moments that really changed me and really impacted me very well. Um, Joe passed away from cancer um, a few years back, and um, you know I, I always think of him when I think about how, how did I get started in this? And so he was a very encouraging person at that time as well. The mic is kind of hot. Can we get the mic down a little bit? Um, this is my, my family here. So uh, that's my wife right there and my beautiful son, uh, Miles, who if you guys were here earlier, you saw him here. He was uh, muting off my communion. Um, He just had to have some. So I was like, all right, bro, here it goes. Give you some. Jesus says, do not, you know, do not let them, uh, you know, let them come to me. Do not withhold and whatnot. So I was like, fine, give them some communion. Why not? Uh, But this is our family. Uh, Man, God is so sweet on me. Uh, Truly, I'm so grateful to have a family like this. Um, you know, my wife is actually pregnant. We have another one on the way. So, um, be praying for us. We're hoping for a girl, you know, but I'm, I'm open to whatever. I'm open to all, all things and all possibilities, but my wife really wants a girl. She really wants baby Brooklyn and, um, be praying for that. If you guys pray, I'm sure it might happen. Um, so, uh, we lead the campus ministry, uh, in Long Beach. Guys, we are so grateful to lead the campus ministry Uh, In the next two to five years, these are the people that are going to be in the the singles ministry, and your marriage ministries. Um, And we, me and my wife really believe that if you want to shape the future of the church, you have to start with the youth. You have to shape the youth. You have to really uh, be with the youth. And I'm so grateful to be a part of the campus ministry. I mean, these students are incredible. It's really a joy working with them. Uh, Yesterday, we had this event called Beach Fest, okay? L.A. Beach Fest, Uh, It's our very first time doing it, and um, it's basically a giant beach party for college students. And so about 300 people showed up to the beach, and this event could not have gone on without the Long Beach Campus Ministry. And so I'm just so grateful to have worked with them. They're just such a great joy. Uh, You know, some of them weren't even asked to serve, but they just jumped in where they saw something that they needed to see Uh, Done, And so I'm so just so grateful to be working with these guys. Victor, especially, our intern, he's a guy that just really just loves to get things done. He's a mover and a shaker. And I'm really uh, inspired by him and fired up by that guy. He's great. So uh, we have a Bible study today. I'm hoping that um, in our Bible study we can talk a little bit about faith, Uh, standing firm in the fire. Okay? And that's kind of hoping, that's what we're hoping to do. And in becoming a Christian... You know, we become Christians, and, and we're kind of promised a hard time, right? We're promised a hard time when we become Christians, um, but you don't have to be a Christian to experience a hard time. How many of us have had hard times in life? By a show of hands, or some people who have not had hard times. I am just, man, I want to be like you, kind of have that life, or do I? By the end of this study, we're all going to want to be able to be grateful for our hard times, right? Um, but my hope is that we're able to look at, you know, what exactly... Um, is the, the benefit of standing firm under fire, right? What's the benefit of having faith and keeping the faith when we have hard times? You know, in life, uh, we go through a process of refinement, right? And it's very cyclical. So you kind of start off, you're kind of going and you're heading into a trial, um, or you are living and you are in a trial right now, um, or you are coming out of a trial right? Can we all agree on that? That's kind of where we are in life at all times. Um, and then there's like this small gap where you're heading into a trial. And you're like, man, like I'm just so grateful for this little time. Um, but then another trial comes, right? Um, something happens, something takes place, and you are back under fire. And, um, and so that's kind of what our life looks like as a disciple. That's what it looks like as a Christian, as a human being, really, um, that you are always constantly under fire, um, there is someone, there's something out there, the evil one, your, your enemy who is always constantly putting you under fire and wants to see you fail. And you see the world, the world itself cannot look at situations like someone being, um, you know, diagnosed with cancer um, or having a terminal illness or uh, just really going through a rough patch in their life. People, you know, the world doesn't see that and say, wow. That right there is the soil for a faithful Christian. That right there is the soil for living a truly blessed life. But instead, we get these narratives that people share and they say, man, I'm just, I feel so bad for that person. I feel so bad for you that you're going through those things. Oh, man, woe is you. Because the world's view and advantage of what prosperity should look like and what a blessed life should look like does not include suffering. It does not include suffering. And yet, in discipleship, that is something that our faith promises us, right? Can I get an amen for that? I need you guys to come with me. You're going to have to be with me. I know you guys want me to feel welcome, so be with me, all right? We're here together, right? We're here together. Um, So whenever you have an unanswered prayer, right, it's easy to just kind of feel like, God, why? Why won't you answer my prayers? Why won't you bless me? And as a kid, I was growing up, I remember feeling like, you know, the the Christian narrative was be blessed. You know, blessings up. Uh, God's going to bless your life if you do these certain things. You know, and I think as I've gotten older, I've seen that you can be a faithful Christian and things, calamity just comes upon you. Things just happen in your life, unfortunate circumstances take place. And so, the question that I want to kind of lead our study for taking notes, the question that I want us to keep asking ourselves is what is your response to trials in your life? What is your response to trials in your life? When you are under fire through financial challenges, what is your response? When you're having strained relationships, what's your response? A discouragement, maybe you're going through depression, you're having health issues, you lost your job. What is your response to it? And that's really what we want to dig at today because we know if we read in first Peter chapter one in verse seven, it says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith that is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed to the entire world. This scripture explicitly says that our trials have purpose. That when you are going through a trial, that there is something in its design to help you live a blessed life. And that's what we're going to get at. We know that a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. This is what we know. We can all agree on this, right? And so for me, I felt like, you know, as I scoured the scriptures looking for uh, maybe just something that we can just kind of study together. And I looked around saying, you know, where is the perfect story that embodies what it looks like to be under fire and yet still having to remain faithful? Because, you know, as a Christian, it's so awesome that we have uh, we have these narratives that inform how our posture should be during trial. And that's really why we read our Bibles. That's why we are so faithful to reading our scriptures daily. Because it informs us really how we should be and what our posture should look like when we are under fire, when things are happening in our lives. And I stumbled upon three teenagers. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three guys, most likely teens stood up to the, in the face of trial. And we're going to read a little bit of their story today. You guys with me? All right, turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, verse 4. Just to kind of give you a little background of what's happening here. So Daniel and his buddies were kidnapped from their homes. They were taken hostage, forced to join a service, that they had no clue in, or anything, they knew nothing about. They were forced to learn the language, to understand the customs. And after a time of being a part of the king's service, they resided in Babylon after leaving Jerusalem. And there was this king who, if you read a little bit in Jeremiah, in the, in the end of Jeremiah, like at the ch- chapter forty on out to 51 scholars believe that uh this portion of jeremiah was written by really one of jeremiah's understudies um but nonetheless what is what is noted is that god refers to nebuchadnezzar as his servant and it's wild because you think like wait a second but this guy was an evil pagan king how could he be the servant of god in any capacity Which if you think about it long enough, you start to kind of see how God was always working with Nebuchadnezzar. But that's for another whole time. It is a good story. It's a great story. You should read it for your quiet time or something. But you have these three teenagers. How many of you guys have ever worked with teens? Right? If you have never worked with teens, this is also true. You are or have been a teen. So you kind of understand the teen life a little bit. Am I right? So kind of put the, the teen goggles on as you're reading, okay? Put your teen goggles on and just look through the lens of teenagers. In verse 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, previously he's asking, uh, you know, everybody to come and worship this statue that he had built. It was a 90-foot statue. And we don't really have a lot of 90-foot statues lying around here um, in this area of town. But if you were to take like a light post, right, one of those little wooden posts that are, in the ground, all electrical wooden post, and you stacked it three times, that's kind of like you would look, you'd be looking like this if you're, you're underneath that pole, right? Um, or if you've ever seen that statue of Jesus in Rio de Janeiro, that statue that does this right here, right? Everybody's seen this, very iconic. Uh, that statue is about 90 feet tall, okay? So that's kind of to give you some, some idea of what's happening here. He calls everybody in and says, hey, I want you guys to come and worship this statue that I have built. And so everybody just kind of floods in. And I imagine it being somewhat like the Staples Center, where people are just kind of like funneling in. And as they're coming in, they're seeing this statue, and they're like, what the? What is this? Right? And they're seeing this giant statue just standing there, and they're like, okay, I don't know what's about to go down, but let's do this. We pick it up in verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So can you guys imagine a giant furnace? I have an, a, 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 a wild imagination. I just kind of imagine it being this giant just box that just looks very clean. And then fire just goes, just burns whatever's going on. All right. Now, let, let me and you enter the story. Okay. You hear this going on. You hear this guy saying, hey. There's a furnace involved, and immediately, kind of your attention, in the back of your mind, something that you say, I'm not getting in no furnace. Right? Let's be real here. The first thing you think about, before faith, before anything else, you're thinking, look, man, I ain't getting in no furnace. That just ain't going to be me. A furnace is hot. I don't do hot well. Many of us don't do the summer heat well. Right? Right? I might just, you know, I've never seen anyone survive a furnace. I'm not going to do this. You must be out of your mind. And that guy's kind of crazy. He will do it. So when we make that decision, when we say that in our minds, guess what we have already said? I'm about to bow down to the statue. (laughs) Now, as faithful as we want to be in those moments, right, we make decisions before we think things through, and we say, I'm not about to do something. So then it, 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 it leaves out the opportunity to be faithful. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, now we're like, okay, I gotta, now i got to figure out a way for me to justify what I'm doing, right? So guess what I'm going to do? I mean, me and you, right? This is what we're about to do. Because we in line, we over here looking at this thing, and we see these three teenagers, and they looking kind of, you know, kind of shifty. Like, like they're like, like, I don't know. We and you, we decide, you know what, we're going to bow down to this thing, but in our hearts, we're not really going to bow down. We're not bowing down, not in our hearts, nope. We're not worshiping this thing in our hearts. Instead, we're going to just worship this thing in the physical, but in the spiritual, we're standing strong. (laughs) Right? I mean, let's be honest, guys. I'm I'm just being real here. I'm a minister. I've been a minister for six years, and I can tell you, I already made that decision walking into that arena that I'm not about to go in no furnace. (laughs) Okay? So that's what's just so remarkable about this story. Because if you know teenagers, you know you work with teenagers. You've been a teen before. You got this look on your face when somebody says something that you don't like and you may have told a teenager something and they didn't like it. And what was their response? You must be out your mind. I ain't about to do nothing. And they don't even say that but they look like it. And if you're a parent, I'm not a parent of a teen. I've worked with teens, though. But if you're a parent of teens, I know you've just wanted to just, just you know, do some things there, right? You see that face, and you, like, go take the trash out. And they're like. And then you, like, you start you want to flex on them, right? Like, what are you, who, are you, who are you talking to? Who do you think this is, right? You want to start just getting in. So these teens are looking at the king, and the king can't really see their faces because it's just, I just imagine millions of people in the crowd. And, and then he just, like, they're looking at him like, you must be out your mind. People are like, hey, man, be quiet, bro. He will find you. Like, you know, like, like, so I see this whole, thing, this whole thing playing out and going on. In verses 12 through 15, we know the rest of the story. Everybody starts bowing down to this statue. And the teens, their knees are just locked. They're sitting there, and they're just like, mm-mm. And I can only imagine the king, a guy who built a 90-foot statue of himself, being defied by these three teenagers. And then he looks out, and he says, what's that? Hey, hey, come here. Hey, hey, you, yeah, come here. What, what's that? Oh, sir, that's those are three teenagers they are defying you, sir. You know, I, that's all I can imagine. Well, what do you mean, three teenagers? Uh, sir, looks like, looks like those, those Jews. You should. I don't know. What do you? What do you want us to do, sir? And it's so like I can only imagine that, you know, he has all these of this line of people that are just obey him one hundred percent. He's like, bring them to me. And so they come before him, right? Me and you, we we on we on the floor. We're like, man, this kid, these kids are tripping. Whose kids are these? <laughs> like, you know, we out here, we ain't you, we ain't, we ain't even in that, we not even in there, right? So there's two qualities of standing in faith, and we're going to learn these two qualities from these young men, all right? The first quality is um, faith obeys God instead of following man. Faith obeys God instead of following man. So everyone is bowing. Three boys are still standing. Let's pick it up in Daniel Chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him as they were being brought before the king Nebuchadnezzar. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They're just kind of asking for it at this point. You ain't even had to say all that. You could have explained your faith. You could have shared why, you know, why you didn't want to do it. If me and you made it this far, we're kind of like, yo, my knees are just kind of, you know, it's I'm at my back or something. I don't really, ah, oh, man, you know. We're, kind of, we're trying to explain the way. These kids are just bold, just a boldness about it. They're looking at man, and they're like, who is this guy to my God? He's nothing. Just because you got this 90-foot statue, what are you compensating for? 90 feet, what? Nothing like my God, nothing. And I can just only imagine how hot Nebuchadnezzar gets, how mad he is when they say this to him. But I love it. I read this story and I'm just like, "Ah, let's go to the next page. I'm just in it. I don't have to explain myself to you. And I and I, I was I was actually out praying this morning about this uh, this passage of scripture, and what came to my mind was that the moral of this story is not rebellion. That's not the moral of this story. The moral of this story is obedience. So you may look at their response, and you may, but they had no other response because their absolute posture was to obey. They didn't have the pr- the way the pros and cons of what it would take to obey God. They didn't have to post it on Facebook and ask for advice on how they should weigh the pros and cons. They didn't have to pray about it. They had decided in their heart, I'm just going to obey God. This is one of those things I'm just going to obey. I don't have to ask a bunch of questions about it. I'm gonna obey. The plan was obedience from the start. You know, in life, as we are going through life together, how often is it for us to go through life and hit a situation and we just didn't really plan for obedience in the beginning? Not saying that we were just, like, trying to be, like, ate up, as we would say in Long Beach. But we just didn't plan for obedience. So there was a time when I worked for uh, ISIS. Uh International Center for Education and Sports. <laughs> they were like, who are we letting on this stage? <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> Some of y'all almost disown me right now. <laughs> I was about to say, I only know this cat. <laughs> Let's go with this one. <laughs> no, International Center of Education and Sports. And uh, it's an after-school program for kids. And uh, I got this job when I was uh, my early, my, like my first year in college, and I had it for five years. Worked from K through Aid. Uh, up and down. It was such an amazing opportunity. Um, but I had a boss that one time, I, I remember moving up to middle school, and in middle school, the kids, they don't have to actually stay there. They don't have to stay in the after-school program. They can leave whenever they want. So you actually have to, like, do more than in the, than in the elementary to keep them there. Um, but if you can't keep them there, and if your numbers go down, they dip, then you, have to, you lose staff, people lose their jobs, things happen and whatnot. Funding goes away. So my boss brought to me a book, and he says, hey, I want you to, like, fill out these names of these parents and sign their signatures. Get it done in an hour. And I remember just, you know, being so happy-go-lucky. I was like, all right, for sure. Took the book, opened it up, started writing stuff. And I was like, am I, like, just, am I faking a signature? Like, wait, wait. Doesn't this go to the government? Yo, this is fraud. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there thinking like, yo, these cats can come back. Government officials flood in. I'm on the news. And, everything. and then what are they going to ask me? What made you think it was okay to forge these signatures? I'm sitting here just playing it in my mind. I'm like, well, my boss told me so. It's like, No. So I remember taking the book and folding it and giving, back, giving it back to him and just saying, look, I cannot do this. On my way to bringing the book to my, my, uh, my boss, I remember saying, like, I think I'm going to get fired. He's going to fire me for sure. He's going to find someone else who can fill out this book, and that's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm just going to be, this is going to be the deal. I go and I give him the book, and I tell him why. I'm like, I, I didn't do the whole the Daniel thing where they were like, even if I didn't want to fill it out. I don't have to tell you. Like, I didn't do all that. I wasn't all extra. I was just kind of like, look, man, I don't think I can do this. It's just, it's against my conscience. I don't really think it's good. And then so he looks at me and he says, you need to fill it out right now. And I'm like, nah, bro, I can't do it. Sorry. Can't do it. Can't do it. And then again, and again, and again, he comes back and forth doing this, right? And I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. And then after I came the last time, and honestly, in my heart, I was low-key like, I'm about to just cave in. I'm about to cave in on this. But then he gives it to me the last time, and I get back to him, and he says, okay, you know what? I like your attitude. You don't got to do this anymore. And I was like, for real? I'm out? Yeah, you're good. Go back to your station. And I'm, I'm just impending thinking about I'm going to get fired. But in my heart, I also just kind of felt like, wow, this was... This was a, a, a moment that I had to stand up against someone in authority over me and just do the right thing. And, it, and that happened when I was, I think, 19. And I think it just kind of continued to define who I was going to be as I, w- I became an adult. And so obedience just has to become the plan. You've got to plan it before you go out in your day. Before you approach the day, there just has to be an idea of obedience. There's areas for me that are difficult to be obedient. I'm going to tell you two areas real quick, and then we're going to finish the story up. But two areas for me that have just seemed really hard to be obedient during is um, is God's plan for me to be uh, a great and biblical husband, and then God's plan for me to gra- be a great biblical father. And these two roles that I have have had to adopt in, in recent years have just tested me and has pushed me to the edge daily where I'm like, man, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if I want to like obey God and be really a nice guy right now. I don't know if I want to be nice to my wife right now. I'm just, I'm just feeling kind of mean. I don't know if I want to be able to just like, you know, I would, I was trained to be a father and a, and a and, um, and a husband by a great man, Brian Plymel, back in Long Beach. And he would tell me that when you got home, make sure that you just get on your knees and you, and you play on the carpet with your son. And I remember thinking, like, I would love to do that. That's going to be awesome. I had a kid, and I started getting tired. I'm like, hey, man, here, take, this, take this tablet. You're going over there in that corner now. You know, like, <laughs> you take this tablet, you get over in that corner, and you, you just be quiet. Um, you know, and that was kind of like where I was at in my heart, with everything, Right? But God pushes me daily, weekly, right? As I'm going through trials, you've got to be obedient. you got to be faithful. You cannot obey man. You can't take man into consideration here. I am the one that you are trying to worship. Number two, faith believes in spite of what it sees. Daniel 17, it says, if we are thrown Into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from the power, your majesty. No matter what I see, my faith says God is willing and able. No matter what I see, my faith will say God is willing and he is able. And if he does not, he is still God. Even if not, he is still God. God, I want this amazing job. Ah, I didn't get this job. Where is God? He is still God. You know, we got to be a light to the world that we are a part of. And this world is getting darker and darker and darker. People are saying, no, we just have more cameras. No, you guys. In the last five years, we've seen 250 mass shootings. Before that, they were almost non existing. This world is getting dark. A part of that 250, one of them was a, the massacre of children. This world is getting dark. And if Christians don't stand up and say, We will be the light, we will be the ones who obey God, we will be the ones who say, Come. Bring your burdens. We have a savior. We have someone that will give you light. We are the reflection of that. If Christians don't do it, then who will? Who are you going to leave being a light to? These teenagers, they, t- they, they took no chances. They said, we will be the light. No one will have to be the light but us. And even if no one else stands behind us, it's okay because God is. Is here. God is with us. God is willing. He's willing to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever imagine. Verse 18. Oh, a question. But what if God doesn't do what I'm what I'm believing for him to do? Well, you better get you better get with God. Verse 18, right? But even if he doesn't, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Their their posture was that we're not about to worship. We're not about to worship. Even if we don't get saved from the blazing furnace, we are not going to bow down and worship. Nothing you can do can make us do this. They were resolute. Christians, we gotta be resolute. We gotta be resolute. Despite the difficulties, despite the challenges of life, despite the things that are happening, we gotta be resolute. There is no other option, there is no other choice. Would you want another choice? We gotta be resolute. That is what will draw people to the church. When they see the light shine, no matter how dark the dark gets, it just continues to shine. That's what this church is in this community. That's what we're a part of, right? Let's close out here. Daniel 24 and 25, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in, amazed, in amazement, and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire on the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth, he looks like a son of the gods. You know, God reveals his power. In many places, but you'll know his presence best in the fire. When you're in the fire, you know that God is with you, you'll feel it. When you're going through trials and difficulty, you just got to open your heart up to the spirit. Do not question where God is. Open your heart up and God will reveal himself to you. In verse 27. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor hair on their head and singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. They didn't bend didn't bow because of God and they wouldn't burn. In verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God a faith that can be tested is a faith that can be trusted these men at the end of everything that was going on said we are willing to give up our lives for the sake of God to make sure people know that God is here amongst us that he is he is worthy of obedience We're going to give it up. And that was what was remarked about them. So what's going to be remarked about you as you head out into the week, as you go to your job, your workplace, as you parent, as you go to school, what is going to be remarked about you? You're heading into the darkness. But the question will remain... How will you respond under fire? Amen. You guys have a great one. Amen. Amen. What a treat we got today.